This is First Class Counselors, another innovative podcast brought to you by Camp Hacker. First Class Counselors is dedicated to young and up-and-coming camp mavericks. By equipping and empowering our on-the-ground staff, camp directors can rest easy knowing that our campers are having the true life-changing experience that parents expect. Find our show notes and our blog for camp leaders and professionals at camphacker.tv. Hello, camp pros. This is Oliver Bregan. My pronouns are he, him. I'm the executive director at YMCA Camp Winona in the Leon Springs, Florida. And my name is Matt Wilfred. I'm the executive producer of podcasting at Go Camp Pro, and you are listening to First Class Counselors. Yes, this is a show that the camp directors give to their counselors as they hire and prepare them for the upcoming summer. Because great camp directors know that they don't even have to listen to this. They just send it right along to their uh, to their best camp counselors because great camp counselors means a great camp experience for kids, means kids want to come back year after year. And that's why we do what we do, to make you into a first-class counselor. So thank you for tuning in. Here we're going to cover one specific topic and cover the essentials as fast as we can. It's the need-to-knows. The can't-go-withouts. The fundamentals. The basics. So today is a special day. It's not just going to be Matt and I on the show. We are joined today with Adam Heslop, who is the head of client services at International Exchange of North America, or more commonly known as IENA. They are one of the premier providers of getting staff from around the world to camp each summer. So thank you so much for joining us, Adam. And uh, we really appreciate you coming onto the show today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So what we're going to do first is we're going to get to know Adam a little bit better. So oh, yeah. Adam, we're going to do what we do is our quick fire questions. And I'm just going to go through these five questions as quick as I can with you. And you're going to answer them as fast so people can get to know you a little bit better. So uh, my first and favorite question I'd love to ask is, what is your favorite camp meal? If you had anything from camp, what would you eat? Soup and we call them cheese toasties, but grilled cheese. All right. Okay. And my next question is, what article of clothing is your essential statement piece for your camp outfit? Uh, for my camp outfit, it was my ticket towel as a cape. All right. So there good. we go. All right. What's, <laughs> what's the strangest job you've ever been asked to do at camp? We all get those little extra odd jobs throughout the camp day. What's the weirdest one you ever got asked to do? Um, essentially, color wall mascot. Nice. <laughs> all right. Okay, what what is a tradition that you love that you got to be a participant of at your first camp? At my very first camp was the big brother, big sister end of session um, thank yous, where we had the campers come onto stage and thank the staff for what was going on, and I got to be the host. Oh, fun. Okay. And then lastly, what is your favorite camp game? My favorite camp game was Manhunt. It was, I worked with the teens. It went crazy and way over strong and staff hidden trees. It was so much fun and the kids loved it. So good. Perfect. All right. So now we know the important stuff about you. Can you just tell us a little bit about your camp background, uh, where you come from? Obviously it's not from the United States, but um, tell us a little bit about your camp experience and your background in camping. So I grew up in England, went to college in Manchester, and I first came to camp in 2008. I worked in 
New Milford, New Jersey, and I came to my first camp there. I spent six years at camp and I emigrated and I've been working in international staffing and sponsors ever since. So I've been around the camping industry now for, this will be my 14th year. I've been in this sponsor for five, eight overall. Amazing. Okay, so uh, for our listeners out there, Oliver has had a lot of experience working with international staff members, uh, getting to hire international international staff members as a director. So he's got the inside scoop, and I actually have not got to have the pleasure of that experience. So we're going to go this with me uh, not knowing anything. So I get to ask Adam all the questions, and then Adam's going to share his answer, and Oliver, with his experience, will will jump in there too. So we hope that you're excited for this one. This uh, episode of the podcast will be definitely useful for everyone involved, whether you are a international staff member who's thinking of applying. Um, we hope that you listen to this, and we hope that you're potentially getting excited about the camp industry. I think that the too long didn't listen of this podcast is like, just do it, just come to camp. It's awesome. But uh, if you have questions, hopefully some of this will answer it. Uh, if you are a staff member who is working at a camp who might have the chance to meet an inter- international staff member this summer, uh, it's a great opportunity for you. You'll get some tips and tricks in this episode as well. So we think it's going to be useful for everyone and we are going to dive in. So Adam, why should an international staff member apply to work at a camp in North America? So the North American camp world is a very unique entity. It's a very, very standalone when it comes to the the global concept. There are camp variations in a lot of different countries, but the U.S. one is the only one of its kind. The U.S. have a summer break of three months, whereas almost every other country in the world has a trimester system resulting in only six or seven weeks. So there's not enough time to run camp as we know it in the U.S. So it's a unique entity and it's a huge drive because it's also commercialized. Movies, TV shows, going to an American camp, seeing an American camp. It's its a very big sell on its own without any agency or anyone really saying anything. Um, so that's a big draw through those elements. And then part of what all of the agencies do is... There's a lot of young people that like to work with young people and help develop youth, schools, education, everything else. All of these people are the ones that when recruiters in all of the countries go in and meet these people face to face, they're the ones that are drawn to this program because they're trying to work with youth. They're trying to make a decision as to, do I want to go and be a teacher? Do I want to go and work in retail? Do I want to be a counselor? Do I want to do this or that? And they're the people that gravitate to this program. And then they're the people that survive best at camp. Now, that being said, one of two things happen. You come to camp and you realize, oh, I was a mechanical engineer. I now want to be a teacher because I love working with youth. Or it gets really stressed out and they're like, okay, maybe I need to rethink. Maybe it's not the exact way I want to go. And it's it's true of both sides. But the selling points are the unique entity and opportunity. And then for internationals, there's the flip side, which is the visa allows them 30 days grace, both pre and post. So you're allowed to come into the US 30 days before you start work and you're allowed to leave 30 days after you finish work. So yes, camp, yes, work, yes, hard, everything else. But for them, they get the opportunity to travel in the US in a way that's very unique because by the time you finish camp, you have a camp family. You have people that you've gotten to know over your time. We can talk from all of our perspectives of, we have some of our strongest friends in life that have come from our camps including myself, who they're all over the world. But that's also, it's not a sales pitch. It's just the reality of what you're walking into. So Mm -hmm. 
it sells itself at the same time as being these are the people that gravitate and are the best fits. And it's also good because at camp itself, you're all like-minded before you start. doesn't matter where you're from. Your brains are already in that same, I'm committing to helping youth and helping develop. Hmm. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much the part of the sales pitch that everyone makes and we all do. Um, and it's definitely the conversations I have when I'm speaking to people coming onto the program. Yeah, and I can speak to it as well to really emphasize that point that Adam makes that you get that camp family, right? Uh, I now have friends who are all over the world because of camp, right? It's not just the internationals who are coming to the United States that they get this experience of getting to meet a bunch of Americans, but for the American side, you get to meet these people who are from, uh, you know, around the world and you get to connect with them and get those cultures. Uh, And all of a sudden at camp, you essentially can kind of travel the world by meeting some of these people and learning about their home base. And it's just such a great part of the program. And some of my best friends now um, are unfortunately across an ocean and very tough to get to. Um, But with today's media and everything, I can stay connected with them. I can enjoy those friendships and it's so vital to the program. And I think it's amazing. And it's honestly the biggest selling point for me who's now lived through it. That's great. I, I, I think that's really important too, building those connections and doing it on a worldwide. Because you're right, Adam, we've done a whole episode about how camp friends will become your best friends. Um, they're your wedding friends, as we called them. Uh, you know, you're going to see them forever. And, you know, I wish I had that when I was traveling around the world that I could have uh, met some of my camp friends then. I think that's great. And I do, I want to give um, just some quick context. I think we're going to, we're going to be using like US and America a lot as an example, but for my fellow Northerners in Canada, it does exist too. Like everything in the camp industry, it's a little bit smaller in Canada, very localized around, you know, Ontario. There are camps in every province. BC is a big one, Alberta, um, and in the, the Eastern provinces as well. But, uh, a, it's a probably more common, I would say, for uh, people to go to the U.S., but I definitely know that Canadian camps are involved in that as well. So uh, kind of along those lines, Adam, can you walk us through the scope of how big international staffing is at camp? What You said you had some numbers for us that would help us kind of contextualize uh, this for people like myself who have never known how big it is before. Of course. So... What I've done is I've gone onto the Bridge USA website, and the Bridge USA is the, Depart- the U.S. Department of State section that works specifically on the cultural exchange program. So, cultural exchange has 16 different visa classifications, and this one specifically is the figures for just camp counselor. So, it's not the whole; it's just camp counselor, um, and it goes down. We're basing this all on 2019, specifically because COVID happened. We all know what happened, but it knocked international travel down. So the last figures we have that are legit as numbers is 2019. So in 2019, from the UK specifically that came to a US camp as a camp counselor, there is 12,380 came into the country solely from the UK. Second highest is Australia. Huge dip goes to 1,950. Ireland was 1,600, Israel was 1,500, Mexico was 1,200, and then under 1,000, but still hitting the numbers, New Zealand, South Africa, Spain, Poland, Colombia, Brazil, Canada, Hungary, Jamaica, Germany, Netherlands, Argentina, Turkey, France, Czech Republic, Bolivia, Italy, China, India, and I can keep going. But we're down to like countries that bring 50, 60 people across the whole industry. Um, So 
you're talking, it's a huge scope of people. It's not 10, 12, 15. This number combined, you're hitting 15 to 20,000 people. I mean, every year, that's a single year. That's a single sum. Wow. And I, I imagine that there's a lot of, that takes a huge amount of logistics. Like when, before I was a camp director, I didn't even know that international staffing organizations and, you know, I, any there's, there's tons, there's lots of different organizations that all do it differently and all work with different people. And that's astounding. 20,000 people a year traveling to camps and, and hopefully this summer we'll get back to get back to those big numbers. And that's, that's solely camp council. We also have the support staff that come in that work in the housekeeping or maintenance or the kitchen. So that's not even in those numbers. That's an entirely separate set of figures. Um, so it's actually even bigger of a program that comes through specifically for camps to help in that world. Um, and then the other piece for you, all of us that live in the camping world know this. But what I did was I broke it down by state. So out of those 20,000 people, which states are the big hitters, which states are the big ticket items? We all know that the Northeast is specifically camp central. But it's interesting here. The highest placement is New York, Pennsylvania, Maine, Massachusetts. However, number five on the list is California. So you go California and then you come back to New Hampshire, Connecticut, and then you go into the mid states in Wisconsin, um, then North Carolina, Maryland. And it's just where those camp hubs are. Northeast is your biggest ticket item, but then California has so many different camps that are way out there. Um, and there are all 50 are represented. There's not one state that doesn't have a camp counselor attend their camp. Uh, you just talked about these heavy hitting states. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, that cultural experience that international staff have when they come to the United States? I mean, sure. Uh, if we start off with the basic example of myself, when I first came over and they were like, so which state are you going to? I was like, New Jersey, where are you flying into? I was flying through New York. Everyone was like, oh, you're going to take uh, you're going to take a bulletproof vest. You're going to take this. You're going to take that. And it's like the whole mindset of people at that time, they were, they didn't understand what it was. Like the, the concept was just alien to most people in my life outside of the people that wanted to go do this. And it, even that was a culture shock to me that people were saying these things to me. Then when I arrived, I was met off by, when I got off the plane, I was met by my camp by these amazing people that welcomed me and opened that door to me. But I landed in a giant airport. And at that point in my life, I hadn't really flown through a major city. I hadn't landed in a major airport, walking outside to um, the yellow New York taxi cab that you'd only ever seen in movies. And you're just hugely surprised by what you're facing and what you're looking at. And then to my surprise and my excitement, a school bus showed up in front of me, a bright yellow, school bus that you only ever see in movies. And I got on the yellow school bus and was ridiculously excited about the fact I was getting on the school bus. Um, so even down to when we talk about culture, like cultural, like putting your blinkers on or talking about that cultural impact, it comes, everyone's like, Oh my God, going into New York city. If you're coming from somewhere like Ghana or Mongolia, it's like, oh my God, wow, the city, but it comes down to the teeniest of tiniest things of like, oh, that's a New York taxi cab. Oh, that's a yellow bus. Oh, that's crazy. And then 
for me, I went and I lived in a cabin that had no windows, just bug screens. And it was like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This is the next nine weeks of my life living in the middle of the woods in a cabin with bug screens. Isn't it hot and humid in America? Am I, how is this going to like completely not understanding because you just, at that age, you don't have that comprehension. And it's something that comes as a complete shock to you, that culture shock. Um, so it's the city, it's the environment, then it's the camp, then it, and it all happens for most people coming on that first time in a very short space of time. So they're getting on a plane, leaving the home country, they land, they get picked up by the camp, they go through all of this new city town, the buildings dissipate, the the fields start getting bigger, the woods get bigger, then you get stopped, and then you go into a cabin and you're like, wait, how far have I gone? I'm jet lagged, do I sleep, do I not sleep? Where's the dining hall? Is there a bathroom <laughs> in my cabin? Am I yeah. in a tent? Where, where, where's this level of what have I done? And it's just everything is a culture shock. Every little teeny tiny step along the way for them, or for me it was. And then it took me the first day or so to recover from jet lag, get into staff training, be like, no, I'm good. This is, a, this is, this is right. This is what I'm supposed to be doing okay, I'm getting on board. I, my kids are coming. I got to get myself ready for them. But right. it's those teeny tiny small culture shocks along the way that can make someone get very homesick very quickly. So mm. it's just being aware of you're going to get it from a council perspective or from the individual perspective. You're going to feel it, whether you like to admit it or you don't. You're going to feel something. And for our directors and staff and for uh, domestic staff members who know these people are coming, they're jet lagged. They're tired. They don't really know where they are. It, it's just being welcoming and opening that door for them. You know, they come into a big city and then they're at camp. There's a different culture as you're moving from city to camp and what that's like. Um, but my favorite part from my personal experience too is you have someone who arrives in the city and they know American culture from movies or TV and then they get to camp and now camp has its own bubble and culture inside of it as well that then you get uh, internationals who are inside of that camp bubble and they start to learn camp culture and then think that that's American culture as well. And then they go out into public and they start using camp words or um, like start doing camp-like things in like general public. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. That's just what we do at camp. That's not like America as a whole or or North American culture as a whole. It's, it's just something that's on camp property. You got to explain. Yeah, we don't just break in the song at restaurants. That's, well, we do. When you're in your first year at camp and you become fully camp culturized and you go on your day off, that's when you start breaking out a song in a restaurant and people look at you like, oh, whoops. It's a bonding experience. But didn't didn't we all do that? Didn't we all do that as, as young camp? Like, I can distinctly remember singing for my food in a restaurant because we just thought it was funny like i i wanted that's almost like a sign of that hey they're a camp person now that means like we our work our work is done we did it (laughs) right it's like they're they're ingrained in but it's it's that when we're talking about culture shock and culture cultural exchange which is what we're talking about your Mm -hmm. experience and my experience of coming out of camp knowing that's the thing is the same experience regardless of where i'm from or who's doing it it's like it's the same. Nothing's mm. changed. Nothing's adapted. We're all ingrained into that camp culture, and it's so much fun, and it's so great. It's such a good feeling to be in that because you're you're 
in welcomed company. I, I, I think that it's, you know, it's the, it's the trademark of like being accepted for who you are and where being goofy and uninhibited is, uh, is encouraged and all of those things. And I, that makes me feel really good about the industry as a whole, that, that we can have that common kind of curriculum, if you will. Uh, and, and that's what people get from the industry. So, so Adam, I'm sure that when you are helping people through the process with IENA, that they're, you, you, I'm sure telling them your story helped with that. But I'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through what the process of someone who's signing up for camp for the first time, and maybe some of the ways that you help them prepare for what the, almost the cultural whiplash, as you described it, of going from the airport to camp to, to being in public to singing at a table. How do you kind of, how, how do you, um, like what are the, the logistics and then what are the kind of kind and compassionate pieces that you put into that process to help them prepare? So it, it depends on who the individual is and then who the recruiter is and how everything, everyone has their own way of doing it. Um, but for me, if you're talking about recruiters, recruiters go into schools, they go into colleges, they go into universities all over the world. That's where most of these, most of the contacts are met face to face. They have a conversation it's an American opportunity to go work at a summer camp. We prep everyone in an agency, regardless of agency, for camp as an entity, for camp as a whole. We make sure someone is a good fit for a camp experience. It's then the camp and the applicant's decision as to which camp is the right fit for them. They know who they are. They know what their personality is like. They know that they can't survive in a 14-foot by 14-foot tent for the summer. They need at least a cabin, if not air conditioning. So it's right. it, they can make their personal decisions along with camp and the interview process. So we explain camp as a whole, just like that. There'll be camps that live like this. There'll be camps that do this. There'll be camps that are 1,200 acres and ginormous. There's camps that operate in a small bubble as a day camp. There are day camps and residential camps. Now, residential camps sleep overnight, and you have campers for anywhere from an entire eight-week summer, seven-week summer, a four-week summer, two-week session, seven day session, two night session, like so many camps have so many different ways of doing it. So these are the spans. You can work as a cabin counselor. You can work as a specialist. You can be a kitchen hand. You can be a photographer. You can be an arts person. You have water ski. You can live on a boat for your summer. You're a sailor. You can do the same thing. Like <laughs> the weird thing is, is it's not like we go on like education major, no sports major, waterfront major, like all of these people do all of these different things and you have the conversation built around when I get to know them as a person. Okay. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you like. Tell me what things you're doing. All the things going on in my head is I know this camp. I know this camp. This camp would work. This camp is there. This camp is on a ginormous lake. You're going to love it. This camp is on the Chesapeake Bay. You're a sailor. That's fabulous. You're an arts person. You do fine art. Ooh, this camp has a fine art department. This camp has um, a STEM program and they're a robotics person. It's like, oh, I know where you can go and they'll love you. <laughs> and you get really excited by these things. And so they feed off the excitement of you because you believe in what you are and what you do. So then that helps them come on board. And now what the first step is, is they start the application with us. So they usually go to their account, hit apply, complete the basic information. Once they've spoken to one of us and they're interested in the program. Then once they get through that, they will have an official face-to-face -face interview, Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, actual face-to-face -face preferably, 
um, as part of the regulations are that it's a face-to-face -face interview. So most of our reviewers and most of our interviewers have additional people that are more local that do the face-to-face -face interview and write interview reports. Then they finalize their application. Our right. team reviews them to make sure everyone meets a level standard. So if you don't meet this standard, you're not actually going in front of camps. Then applications go in front of a camp and then camps have the ability to log in on their side. They can review everything. They can search by availability dates, skill sets. They can search by YMCA affiliations, religious affiliation, anything they want to really pick out applications for. They can pick out applications. If they're a good fit, they'll reach out, they'll interview, they'll have the conversation, see if they're a good fit and offer a position. So all the way through that, our recruiters are there to have the conversation, to be like, okay, you've completed this. Okay, this can't put you on review. Okay, this... Is what, the, what you have a valid understanding of who that camp is before you talk to them. By the same principle, they have an application video, they have pictures, they have portfolios, they have references. On the camp side, they're doing the same thing. They're doing their due diligence to make sure you are a good fit for them before you, they have that conversation. And then that conversation happens, you have your interview, then the job offer is made or not made because sometimes not every person is connect for good for every camp, just like every camp is not good for every person. Um, <laughs> Most agencies have the options for the applicants to reject an actual offer as well. So just because a camp makes them an offer, if they truly believe it's not a good fit for them, or they talk to us and have that conversation with us, they still have the opportunity to drop that placement and find a camp that's right for them. It's not just, well, that camp hired me, I have to stay there. Once you make a commitment, yes. But if you haven't made that commitment and you want some time to think about it, you tell the camp, you tell the director, they have the opportunity to do that on their own. It's in everyone's best interest that everyone is on board. It means right. no one has an unsuccessful summer. It means they're not going to be in an uncomfortable environment that they're not used to in an uncomfortable situation. And it means you're not having as a camp to manage a situation that if we went through that interview process, it wouldn't create that situation. Things always happen on both sides, but you set everyone up for success as best you can. Um, and we as who we are and our recruiting teams, everyone's been to camp. Everyone has had an experience at camp. Even our interviewers are either second, third, fourth, fifth year camp people. Right. So it goes all the way through from everyone here in the office all the way down to our recruiters and our interviewers. Everyone's been through camp. Everyone has a story. I can tell mine just like you can tell yours, just like Oliver can tell his. Those tell their stories and help people connect to the camp story as a whole, but they're connecting to their camps and their personal stories. And the, the selling point is make your own story. Mm -hmm. Take the opportunity and make your story and tell your story to the people that want to follow you, which is something we're finding this year more than any other year because of COVID, because everyone else, there is a lot of, hey, this person's coming back their brother, their sister, their friend wants to come and wants to come to our camp. And it's for an applicant side, having someone like that, that, you know, at the location, it's helping that cultural piece. Um, it's a different way than it has been in the past, but it's also just a trend. I'm going to guess because everyone's got a little more closed off during COVID because it's just, no one has been pushing out those boundaries. Um, right. But yeah, that's, 
Does that answer your question? Does that kind of oh, yeah. how things go through and, and how things move? Yeah. Yeah, there's so much there like to dissect it too, just from the very beginning of, you know, when you're looking for those camps, there's so many different options across the spectrum of what camp is, right? Um, is there any questions or factors that you see sometimes international staff don't weigh into their decision, right? You mentioned like, what a cabin looks like, or maybe what programs uh, they might be taking part in. Is there sometimes that little detail that you get that phone call from that counselor who's arrived at camp and be like, I didn't know this was a thing. And I didn't know I should have asked about it. Like, what are, what's that question that if an international staff member is listening to right now, they should be like, oh, I should definitely ask that when I get interviewed by a camp to make sure um, I don't forget. Salad bar. All right, there you go. It sounds really ridiculous, but people have dietary requirements and they explain that they're vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, nut-free, everything else. We all know that most camps at this point are like nut-free and everyone eats, most camps are nut-free, so that one's taken care of. But when they say they have an option, they don't ask what's on the salad bar and then they get there and like, well, the salad bar doesn't have anything. I'm like, does it not or does it just not have things you like? So having that conversation first would actually, if you have a dietary restriction or you have a diet that you need to stick to, that you want to stick to, it's making sure that they can actually can actually do it. Because camp are like, yes, we cater for vegan and vegetarian kids. It's like, but what is it that you need and is it something they can provide? It's one of the most interesting conversations we get and it's one of the ones that I'm like, how far did you go down the road when you said you were a vegan or a vegetarian? Because right. we can't put on, most camps can't put on fine dining for their vegan campers. They're, they're doing it, they're fixing, they're doing all of the things they can do, but they're catering in a certain way and within their own scope in their kitchen. So it's, ask them about the salad bar, ask them about the vegetarian options and what things are going to be done. Um, and then the one thing I didn't ask specifically was, I went to the cabin and I got shocked and then I was putting the teens, um, it was called CBC, which is camping, backpacking, and canoeing. We lived in the 14 foot by 14 foot tents and I lived with eight teenage boys in a 14 foot by 14 foot tent for 19 yeah, I was, days. Uh, I was not prepared in any way and no one told me I was living in a giant tent. Mm, so yeah. I, I was like, yeah. I should I'm trying to do the math. Yeah, I'm trying to do the math. 14 by 14, and if you have, uh, you know, eight uh, teenage boys all at 5, 10 to 6, 2, can they actually fit in that cabin or <laughs> or not? And the answer is mathematically no. Three, four, five bunk beds, head to foot, head to foot, head to foot, head to foot, and then one across the back fits 10 people. There you go. Woof. It wow. works. <laughs> it it works. Like let's put some air quotes on that one. Um, yeah, I was very glad that that tent rolled open on both sides. Mm-hmm. Nice oh, yeah. <laughs> Necessary. That's that's fair, man. And be you like you are not prepared for stink until you are prepared for teenage boy cabin stink. That that is that is true. And I I think that's totally fair. I think like there's only so much that you can 
prepare someone for it. And part of the joy is is learning those things, right? No one no one told me that I was going to deal with that kind of stank my first time as as working at a as a domestic staff member, right? So you, it, it's part of the adventure. But what I hear you saying, Adam, is that part of the benefit of going through an agency rather than trying to do it on your own, not only is there the logistical help with the paperwork and, 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 and all that, it really sounds like you folks get to act as matchmakers. And I hope that for people who are watching on YouTube, uh, when Adam was talking about finding the right alignment with, with camps and, and with staff, he was visibly giddy. Like you, I, I watched the gears turning in his brain of connecting staff members. Cause I, I think that's perfect. And, and that is a great way on its own to put somebody in a place that works well for them. Cause if you have a background, if, if you're not from North America and, but you have a very robust sailing background, you are going to feel a little piece of home when you are sailing and teaching kids to sail. And, and we know the psychology would say when you are using your strengths, talents, and gifts, when you're in flow in that way, you're feeling good about yourself. So um, I think that's really important that that if you have a strong gift or a talent as an international staff member, please make sure that shines through in your application. Because um, it, it, as, as Adam said, I think in one breath, if I remember correctly, there are tons of different kinds of camps out there for you. Um, it, sound, it sounded like a Dr. Seuss book that you were reading. Like there's a, there's a camp on a boat and a camp with the, some rope and a camp on a plane. And yeah, there's, there's lots of different camps out there. Environment uh, as well. Like if you are a dry desert type of person, Arizona or New Mexico does have camps. If you like the wetlands, you can go up to Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont. Um, just they're everywhere, and they all cater towards different things, and they all cater towards different focus. Like there's Californian camps that are set up like a rodeo and like um, an old western, where the saloon is the swing doors. And you go and it's the dining hall. You go into the post office and it's the office. And it's set up exactly like an old Western. And that one, <laughs> I loved. When I went to visit that camp, I was so happy. Very cool. Well, well, Adam, I want to start to get into some more specifics uh, about kind of the experience for an international staff member. Shifting gears a little bit, how do you prepare uh, an international staff member to come and work uh, culturally in a North American camp? So for, for those of you listening who, who work in camping in North America right now, you know that, that our industry as a whole is pretty white, uh, especially from the top down, you know, ownership of camp is, is pretty statistically white. Um, and, and a lot of the camps that I've worked at are very homogeneous in that way. Um, and a staff member who's coming from uh, from Ghana, or if that's coming from Mongolia, like you were saying, or um, a staff member who is not white, if we're going to say it like that. If they're coming to a camp that might be majority white or might be a very different cultural experience from what they're experiencing at home, how do you prepare them for that? How do you get them, uh, you know, to kind of front load that experience for them so that they're feeling comfortable right from the start when they get there? So it's kind of a, it's the two-sided question, really, because from the agency standpoint, every camp, as we've been saying, is different. So there's a lot of onus on the camp to deliver the camp culture and whatever <clears throat> the camp culture is. We know the camp cultures in America is hugely welcoming. And yes, your statements are true and factual, and they're all based in what it is, but it's also the most welcoming environment. <clears throat> so 
and it is the most eclectic environment. And for those that bring international staff member in, there is a lot of different accents, a lot of different colors, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different clothing, a lot of different things going on in and throughout the camp, which is a great thing to have. So we live in a world of positivity from our side, which is if someone has a question or a concern that fil filters down in that way, our responses is solely camp is going to welcome you as if it's your family. They're not uh -huh. going to send you away. They're not going to segregate you. It's going to be like your family. And that is true. That is what camps do. And we advise them to talk to the camp directors. If an applicant comes to me at this point, we are currently in January rolling into February and has one of these concerns or has any concern along these lines. My response is traditionally and always will be, have you spoken to your camp director? Have you brought up this concern with the person that interviewed you and hired you? Because the best answer about that family and that camp community is from that camp community. I can't speak on that behalf unless I really have a personal connection with that camp or I went to that camp or I've been accepted into the family of that camp at some point in my time within the industry, which has happened. And I have a lot of friends in the camping world that I spend too much time with in the off season. Um, <laughs> But we try and stay on that positive side of all of these conversations and nothing's perfect. No one's perfect. Everything is a learning curve and miscommunication, misunderstanding. But in a situation where somebody is uncomfortable or believes something is happening, every agency, every sponsoring company wants to hear about it and will help. And they have the voice and the opportunity to report back to us. So if something is missed, and that's another, the second part of the conversation, which is we talk about it and we let you open up to camp and it's the opening community. It's all of this. But if something goes wrong when you're in the summer and you're experiencing that, you report that to the people that brought you over to your sponsors. They will have a bigger conversation if you cannot have that conversation up front. We will help you through that conversation. And if it doesn't work, you have the ability to leave because most camps in America run an at-will employment. At will employment right. is they don't have to give you a reason to let you go as much as you don't have to give them a reason to leave. If there's no valid reason, a sponsor will end your program on that day and you would have to go home. If there is a valid reason and you've spoken to your sponsor prior to leaving and prior to this, they will help you and help move you forwards and help find you another opportunity if there is one available. Because once we're in midsummer, some camps are looking for people, but some camps are not. We also right. live in a COVID world where bubbles potentially are still a thing. We're all getting to a world where they might not be, but who knows where this summer is going. And I don't want to put, I don't want to say what 2022 is going to look like because no one has that <laughs> idea right now. Right. Um, but from that point, it's just being honest and having open lines of communication is the best way to communicate that through. But we don't sit there and sell it in that premise. We don't say it's this way. You're, we don't tell them they're going to a minority. It's not that. It's you're going to a family. You're going to right. your family. Um, right. They will accept you and welcome you as who you are. And you'll have the opportunity to demonstrate and show your culture. And it sounds like camp's going to open up this grand floor. And I'm like, it's not. It's just inherently built in that way. Camp is right. just designed like that. If you're working in the kitchen or even you're working as a counselor, you're working as the lakefront staff, like the lakefront staff don't live in a bunk necessarily, but they're with the kids, but then they're going to be doing big activities. They're going to be in the kitchen dining hall with them. They're going to be helping with different things, not just at the waterfront. 
if you're a bunk counselor, your staff, your kids might go off and go into doing all the activities, but you're going to talk to them every night and have a conversation, but you're going to be the one playing quiet games in the rain with them and being able to bring your culture in. So there's all that opportunity there to bring it in and open that door. Right. And I and I want to want to be be sure about this. I, I mean, I, I I would imagine, Adam, you could run the stats on this. I don't want anyone listening to be scared off by that question and, and by what we're asking. I bet you that the incidents where a staff member is feeling uncomfortable is probably pretty few and far between, right, Adam? The statistics, roughly, I mean, I can only speak for INA. It's less than two percent incompletes. Now, those incompletes are for everything. That's right. people getting injured. That's people not completing something because they got injured, not completing because they got let go for doing something silly, not just what we're talking about. It's it's a fraction of a fraction at that point that you're talking about those situations happening. Right. And, and as we've talked about many times on this podcast, we we hope that you as a counselor feel empowered to keep that open conversation going with the people who can help at your camp, whoever becomes your director. But it's really comforting, I think, to know that not only do they have their director and their leadership team at the camp that they work at but but while the summer is going on you folks have their back as well yeah i think one of the greatest things about having international staff at your camp too is that color doesn't match culture right um you can have people from all different spectrums of their race but where they come from and what their culture is is vastly different um across the world so when you're an international staff coming to America, um, you kind of get to show uh, what your culture is before your skin tone, right? Um, so you're saying like, yeah, I might be black, but I'm not black American. I'm black um, from London or I'm black from Africa or I'm black from South America, right? And this is the culture I come with from this area in the world, uh, despite whatever my the color of my skin might be. And for kids especially who are learning to socialize, um, it allows them to see and break stereotypes that they might've had in their head that they had like started to leave um, from around the world. It allows staff members to experience that difference and that cultural exchange, um, it really allows that openness to happen. And uh, it's educational as well. So you're, as an international, you're providing that growth to other people as well. That I think is so important. Um, and I've experienced it myself, like through my camp experience, when I get to meet somebody who's from um, a country that we've named that I just didn't know what world they were coming from. And it was so cool to learn about that. Um, and it didn't, and their, their skin or their race was part of that learning curve, which was amazing. So think about that too, as part of this experience. Hmm. That's great. Wow, that was a that was a really good conversation. I'm glad that that we could kind of address that one head on. Thanks, guys. Um, okay, let's let's move into something a little bit a little bit lighter here. Uh, Adam, what are some of the packing items that international staff member international staff often forget? What do you find that they they either you need to remind them of a lot, or that you get calls like, "Oh my gosh, I wasn't prepared for this." What tips can you give them in that realm? So, depending on Again, camp specific, depending on where you go, what you do. Um, right. My camp, the one that my second camp that I worked at that was in New Mexico, we we lived three and a half hours from the nearest town airport. And you lived on top of a mountain where there was no light pollution and no anything else. And the camp didn't really have floodlights because we lived in tents and three-sided cabins without electricity. The only buildings that had power was the office and the dining hall. But 
it was New Mexico. Flights only arrived late at night. You pick up your staff late at night, a three and a half hour drive up, you get to camp, you park, it's pitch black, and they're getting into a three-sided <laughs> cabin or a tent. So we and myself, when I first went, knowing full well that what I was walking into, flashlight or torch or whatever you want to call it, in the top of your backpack. Mm-hmm. Toothbrush, travel toothpaste, in the top of your backpack. Pajamas, in the top of your backpack. Because if you're jet lagged and you're la- arriving late at night and you just want to go to bed, you need to be able to see where you're going to bed. And you don't know quite how crazy that's going to be. So those three things are things that people like, oh, I've forgotten, or oh, silly me, or oh, it's at the bottom of my suitcase. Backpack. Put it in right. a bag. Make sure <laughs> you have easy access to those things. Um, shoes that you don't mind getting muddy. Don't come to camp mm-hmm. with a pair of $120 Nikes that you don't want to get muddy because it doesn't matter what camp you're at. If they're the shoes you're going to wear, they're going to get a little trashed. Um, yep. And don't bring your expensive stuff. Any of it. It's not worth it. I think I changed and I think I went home with less than I arrived with because it all got destroyed. <laughs> that's such as life with camp for sure. Right. And I mean, but that's the thing people are like, Oh, I have to look good. No, you don't. I have to present my, no, you don't. I have to do my, make- <laughs> no, you don't. I have to do my head. No, you don't. Like, yeah. nope. We can keep having this conversation guys. This is none of this is a thing. Like we were right. all just in our place doing our thing and we all take care of the campers and they don't care and they love us. Right. For so right. from my perspective, older clothes, things you don't mind getting trashed or bring your nice clothes, but go to Walmart and buy your cheap clothes and live in them while you work at camp and then wear your nice clothes on your night off or on your yep. day off when you're not. <laughs> camp. Um, but yeah, the torture flashlight, toothbrush, toothpaste in the suitcase that's good advice. And a comfy pair of clothes in the in the in your book bag that travels with you because luggage can get lost. Luggage right. on the plane, it can get lost in transit somewhere. And even if you're arriving at eleven o'clock at night, it's like it's okay. We'll get your luggage. I'm like it's eleven o'clock at night, and I want to go to bed. Right. Those things will allow you to go to bed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that's always been my advice to anyone that's a little left field, but it's. That's good. No, that's perfect. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of people can like look up travel tips from like a good YouTuber video, but those little details about like put your torch on the top of your pack, that's the detail you need. I was also really happy to hear that your first camp experience of living in a tent with a bunch of teenage boys did not change what your second experience was, which was just staying in the tent. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't give up on tent camping. So it, maybe it's the thing for you, but maybe it's letting people know it's maybe it's not that bad. You know, if you're going to end up in a tent camp um, for your summer. I mean, in fairness, as camps go, most camps don't have any type of air conditioning and it's hot and it's very hot and it gets smelly. It really does. And when I say a tent, you have 14 foot by 14 foot is huge and it's a solid deck floor. Right, so right. it's a deck floor and it has sides on it. And then it is a fully canvas tent with a fully canvas fly that's wonderfully waterproof. And you can roll up the front. You can roll up the sides. You can lay there in your in your bunk, which 
most camp bunks that are movable are more like hammocks than beds. So they're really comfortable and you can get yourself in. And like as much as it's smelly teenage boys, once I opened all those things up and we were just having a chill moment, it was, I had some of the best conversations and most interesting conversations I've ever had. And from my perspective, I worked with inner city youth from Manhattan. I had kids from the Bronx and from Brooklyn and I grew up just over the river Mersey from Liverpool. I was not relating to kids from the Bronx based on what they're doing in their lives right now, growing up versus what I did in my life. When I grew up, I wasn't connecting with that, but I was sure as hell connecting over. Tell me what the heck your day today is like, how is it going to school in the Bronx? How is it like, what goes on? What does your mom do? What does your family members do? Who do you live with? What, like, these were all conversations I had that I will never forget the stories of what these people told me and what they opened up to me about. Hmm. And it was because we were in a safe environment. No one was looking at each other. We were all just lying in our bunks, chilling out and just having a conversation of, well, we're going to go do this afternoon. We're going to do this. We have this activity. We have this activity. What do we want to do here? Um, we lived in a luxurious world. We cooked all of our meals over an open fire. We didn't go to the dining hall for all of our food. So it was like, this is what was on the menu. However, we're just given ingredients. What would you like to try and make? So it became a fun conversation. And I still go back to those days of lying in those bunks with them and with my co-counselors and having these conversations of things you just never expected to have. And conversations with people that you're like, oh, I get to know the other staff and the other directors. I'm like, yeah, but the kids are the most honest and are going to give you the real life stories. You're like, oh, wow, you, that's what you, okay. Yeah. And it opens your eyes to a whole, like, I would never have known. You hear stories of these things, but you don't know what's true and what's not. Right. Telling me what's true. And that was my experience in it. And that Mm. was, that was what made it happy for me. And I would never... I was shocked as anything going into it, but I loved my tent. I loved to the point where in my second camp, I actually chose to go and stay in the tent. Right. I got a whole tent to myself though. At that point, that was nice. <laughs> I, I think that's, I think that's so, so important that you're, you know, we, we talked about the physical things that you're packing, but one of those mental things is to, to go in with an open mind, right? Cause you never, you had no idea that that experience was, was, was ahead of you. And, and, you got beyond the superficial staying in a in a in a platform tent and and you you really focused in on on the camper experience and got to know them i think that's that's super cool i mean culture shock i was culture shocked how do you think the kids right. from the bronx that came for their first year at 14 were when they came out of the bronx through all of that came into camp walked up a dirt path and walked towards canvas tents Right. Like there was like me and my boys used to have a stick that was outside the tent and about seven foot to the left. Because if you need to pee in the middle of the night, go out, get to the stick, don't cross the stick. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so it was because they were like, I don't want to walk the like 150 feet to the bathroom. They didn't want to right. do it. They were like, I don't I, I make these kids that face all of these things in the city don't want to walk 150 feet with nothing in the way. I mean, right. trees and some rocks, but so mm. it was like, okay, this is our fix. 
and it's down to that simplistic thing having that conversation with your with your campers and adapting accordingly now don't get me wrong minor 14, 15, 16 year olds, which isn't the general standard consensus of summer camp because camps are running from, you know, seven to 17 and some go younger, day camps go younger. And so you can't necessarily live that life with the younger ones. It was just me in my group with the older ones. That's what we did because it was, they were nervous. And by the end of it, they were going to the bathroom because we all didn't want to stand by a stick that no one knew which stick it was by the end. So we all... <laughs> They all finally started doing it, but it was just that culture shock piece when they first arrived. And it's it's us, it's the domestic staff. The only people that don't get culture shocked at camp are the directors and like the right. administration that's been there forever. Anyone <laughs> that's walking onto that ground for the first time, kids, staff, domestic, international, we all have the same shock of like, oh, this is what it's actually like. I mean, the first and most important step, say hello. Don't be afraid to be that person. Like, that's all it takes because have a conversation is one thing, but if you say hello, you will open a door to everything else. Hmm. One of my best friends at camp came from, we both went to the health center because we had something to deal with. And the door went to slam and I caught it as he was carrying stuff. It's like, I got you, man. Okay, great. And then I was like, oh, where are you from? Your accent's different to my accent, which is different. And it's like this huge conversation came from catching a door entering into a health center. I'm like, <laughs> as a domestic staff member, if you're there and you're in traditionally in most camps, domestic staff members, recently it's trended the other way, but Domestic staff members are usually outnumber the internationals. Domestic staff members have the safer foot. They may have their car there. They may be just down the road from their family. They may have flown in, but they they already have an upper hand. Right. Take that courage and that step to just say hello. And you never know which country you may end up in in five years' time celebrating New Year with your best friend that you made at camp, telling the story of the first day you said hello. Brilliant. I think that I think that that's the perfect note to end it on. I, I don't think I don't think we could go any further, except for Oliver. What time is it? It's the time for our eggle, which is ever growing and ever learning. It's a trick, a tip, a game, a song for counselors to use to be better every day. All right, Matt, do you want to kick us off with your eggle? You want me to get us started? 
Yeah, and we didn't tell Adam about this part of the podcast ahead of time. So, Adam, you're going to think on your feet as the brilliant camp person that you are. So, so the eggle is is anything that a camp counselor can like learn either just from listening from us or uh, or or that they could do a little bit of research and learn something. A game, a song. Oliver sang on the last podcast, so the bar is pretty high there. Uh, it, any kind of tip or trick that they <laughs> that they could do. Um, so my uh, my eggle, I think it's a bit of a continuation of the one that I did that I had on a previous episode, but I want you to go to uh, the app store of your phone and I want you to download the Merlin Bird app. Uh, the Merlin Bird app is like the inter- one of the international databases, especially for North America. Uh, it's got 7,500 species, 7,500 species of birds in this app, along with the area that they are in and specific sound ID capabilities. Um, it goes to the point where if you see a bird, you press start bird ID, and it's like, what size was that bird? Uh, what color was that bird? And it will tell you based on your region what kind of bird uh, it is. And this is a great thing that you can do for anybody, uh, but as an international staff member, you're going to be seeing a bunch of different flora and fauna when you're at your new camp. So check out the Merlin ID app and you can start to get to know some of those and have some insider knowledge. How cool would it be if you got off the bus um, on the, you know, if you're working at a camp in the Catskill Mountains and you're like, that's a pileated woodpecker. I think you'd impress some people who wouldn't even know what a pileated woodpecker is um, from uh, from that area. So Merlin Bird app. I will put the um, I will put the link to the app in the show notes. Oliver, you also have an app. I do, but I, when you were talking, I started to think that maybe I had already used this app. So if I have, also say it now. It's called the All Trails app. It is a great app that a lot of people use for hiking. Um, it will lead you on the right way. I've been using it a lot um, recently because I just moved. and Well, I moved about a year ago, but um, I've been using it to find different hiking trails in my area so that I can uh, get around. So check that out. It's the All Trails app. But um, because I think I might have done that on a show before, my other one really quickly is called Space Team. It is a board game, actually a card game uh, that you can play. And it is team-based. So there's no winner, but the, your entire group of friends would win as a team. Um, and I'm giving this as my ego because, A, it's just a great thing for you to maybe have in the cabin. Um, it's only uh, like $20, I think, for the for the game. But you can have in the cabin as a game you can play. And it gets your cabin worked together as a team. If you're a director or a leadership staff member, I also really recommend this game because it is a great way to get your staff working together. So um, it's something that I like to do during staff training uh, for everyone to kind of start to work and communicate more effectively together. And I will put the link for it um, onto the show notes as well for everybody. Uh, Space Team actually got its start as an app. And the app is hilariously good fun too. So if you you can play it logged in, and then the latest I actually just played this the other weekend. You know the Jackbox Party Pack games that you can play online. One of the newer Jackbox packs has a game called The Devils in the Details, which is also similar uh, to that as well. So that's that's an option, bunch of different options. But I I will give a plus one to Space Team Oliver. It is one of my favorite games. Okay, Adam, we put you in the hot seat. Can you deliver for us with an eggle? So I can deliver with an eggle. However, it's not necessarily a book or an app or something. Okay. It's a challenge. And it's a thing that I'm going to push towards your counselors. So 
a situation of which at camp that we all love to de death is rainy day, quiet walk, or something like that. I challenge your staff to learn five riddles, five riddles at camp for youth. Now, it can be any riddle you like, bring your personality into it, ones you've heard, bring in friends, two coins add up to 50 cents, one of them isn't a nickel, the other one is. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Five, have them ready, because at camp, they can save your butt. When you're quiet walking to an activity, drop a riddle, leave it for the entire day. Let them bring answers to you. Give them the answer at the fire at the end of the day and say, congratulations, I'm proud that you kept going at it. Something like that. That's my eggle. That's a secret trick that you don't need equipment. You don't need a book. You don't need anything. Learn them before you go. Write them down somewhere. Store them. I guarantee you in a summer you will need them. Or you will Amazing. pull them out at some point. Give the man a round of applause, Oliver. He's on from the hot seat. He did it. Well, well done. Um, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Before we sign off here, can you tell people out there if they are interested in getting in touch with you because they have more questions or want to know more about INA, how can they do that? So INA, INA.org is the um, website. It will be on the notes. You can go look at our website, look at the programs we offer and the directions in which we go. If you have any questions, my email will also be in that. You can email me personally, and I will read that. If it's something you want to do, you want to have a conversation, you can have the conversation with me. If it's something you want to do and you're 100% in, I will redirect you to our country recruiters, whomever is in your country as that recruiter. They will bring you on board and get you through all of the paperwork you need to do and help you through that process. There we go. So if you enjoyed today's show, we'd be so grateful if you left us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Your ratings and reviews not only tell us what you like and don't like about the show, but it also helps boost our rankings and helps more people discover the show. And Oliver, I have a surprise for you. I didn't tell you about this ahead of time, but I found some reviews for the podcast, so I wanted to read one now, if that's okay. It's from two years ago, and apparently I missed it. So this is a review um, that someone named Pigtoe. Yes, Pigtoe uh, gave us, and, and it says, it's a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, which is great when people give us those. It says, uh, I've been binging this podcast in the last few weeks. I wish I had these resources when I was a first-time counselor three years ago. Although I'm no longer involved in the camp world, a lot of what is covered is applicable to many career fields. Oliver and Matt's conversations cheer me up and whet my appetite to maybe return to the camp world one day. Thank you, Pigtoe. So if if you leave us a five star or if even a four star, maybe even a three star, but like leave us a five star review, we'll read it uh, in one of our upcoming episodes. So uh, if you are interested in checking out the show notes, there's a lot of links coming at you from this podcast, from Adam, from Oliver, and from myself. Make sure you check out gocamp.pro/fcc. All of it will be there, and you can check out that and all the other great podcasts that GoCamp Pro are putting out at gocamp.pro. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Adam, thank you so much again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adam, for joining us today. We know that this show is going to be so useful, not just as something great to binge and listen to, but also a fantastic tool for any international staff member or domestic staff member who wants to learn a little bit about being uh, at camp in America. So thanks for listening, friends. And remember, camp is camp and camp is all good. First Class Counselors is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison. 
Summer Camp Leadership Training and Marketing Consultants. Thanks for listening, friends. Hey, Camp Pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, if you've gotten even one good idea from a Go Camp Pro podcast, masterclass, from the Summer Camp Professionals Group, a conference, or wherever else, we ask that you give credit where credit is due. That way, it'll encourage camp pros to keep freely sharing their ideas and make the camp industry as a whole better.